You're listening to a People of Note podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. And in it, I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And my guest in tonight's program is Vanessa Raffaele. And actually, she sent me an email saying that she's absolutely unemployable. So I'm going to ask you, Vanessa, to tell us who you are and what you are. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, it's hard to say. You see, that's why I can't get a job. Um, I'm by career a journalist, or I was back in the day. I spent 20 years um, managing a company called Associated Media, running women's magazine brands primarily, but across all their across all their titles. Um, before that, I worked on Fleet Street in London, worked on magazines in London. Um, subsequent to that, I have written a children's book or two. I have written a novel, which have embarrassed my children very much. Um, and I manage a community of parents of 37,000. I say I have 37,000 best friends, um, a community of parents online called The Village, which is basically um, somewhere between a community and a movement of parents committed to trying to create a better world for all of their families. Okay, and I think that's probably a good place to start because uh, during lockdown which for all of us has been quite troublesome and traumatic. It's also been quite a special family time, I think. Yes, it has. I mean, I think it's brought out the best and the worst of families to some extent because um, period of incarceration probably will do that. You know, cometh the hour, cometh the mad mother, perhaps. Um, but... Yes, I think that the proximity put us together, the, dis the kind of external threat maybe made us cling together more. But at the same time, you know, it's never really, family is never really a fairy tale. It's never what you, it's never only what you see on social media. Um, it's, it also makes, it's also brought a lot of, of hardship and, and struggle, I think. Um, you know, I still think we're probably too close to 2020 to say anything was a universal good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I guess we'll look back on it with, with mixed feelings, um, as we do most of our lives. I think we, we look back and think, I could have done this better, I could have done that worse. But certainly, I mean, from my own experience, um, m my wife and I have actually quite enjoyed lockdown. Uh, we've, we've seen more of our children, we've seen more of our grandchild, and, and from that point of view, it's been rather special. And the times we have spent together, because we haven't been able to spend a lot of time together, but we have, the times we have spent together have been very special. And I think that's, that's really what we want to talk about tonight, is the times that we do spend together and making them special. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that I, I know you invited me to do this interview was because of the Lancewood Quality Time survey, which I've been involved with. And um, that was um, commissioned to actually find out what quality time does mean for South African families. And which interested me particularly because I'm Jewish and us Jews really love our food and what role food and getting to coming together over a meal and coming together to prepare a meal had to do with it. So, yes, I mean, that was one of the happiest memories that I have of lockdown, not only baking the endless um, banana breads and sourdoughs and watching, you know, and watching the, and leafing and um, raking the leaves, but, yes, spending time with my children who are teenagers and so... Um, it's quite actually quite a rare occasion to have all of all of my chickens in the nest. So yes, on that level, it was absolutely wonderful. Well, and you've also uh, chosen some interesting music for this program, and we're going to talk about some of those too. So let's listen to your first choice before we sort of get down to the business of this program. Your first choice is a piece called "Right Down the Line" by Jerry Rafferty. Let's listen to it, and then you can talk us through it. That was Right Down the Line by Jerry Rafferty. And perhaps you can talk us through one, not necessarily all of them, but some of your choices of music. Um, well, this one is definitely one for my husband. I mean, I think in, in life one makes very many important decisions and decisions that have huge um, consequence. And I guess every decision that you make is in some way reversible, apart from the man or the woman or the person that you choose to have your children with. 
And um, I think I've been extremely blessed. I don't know whether it was through blind luck or good judgment, but I chose a good one. And um, I think every good husband or wife or partner deserves a good love song. And right down the line is a wonderful love song. Well, it's a great choice to to start with. And uh, just talk about family. You've got, what, three children? uh, and I have three children and I have three favorite children, my dogs. You know, my (laughs) trick is, if one of your children ever comes to you and says, Mommy, I know I'm not your favorite, my answer is always, I prefer the dogs. You know this, absolutely. (laughs) And obviously, you spend some time, uh, you told me earlier on offline that you lived... Uh, up on the mountain in Cape Town somewhere, and luckily we can do these interviews now uh, remotely. Um, you live on the mountain, so you did you walk every day? I'm um, not during lockdown, and actually I suffered, I think of all my own personal um, feelings of loss during lockdown, being able to be out in nature and being able to be free and spontaneous and being able to just go for a walk if my heart desired was one of the greatest losses that I personally felt. Um, I am in the privileged position of living close to Table Mountain and Lion's Head and Devil's Peak. I say it's a kind of privilege to have, um, you know, the devil in your eye line and the lion at your back. Um, And it's been something throughout my life that I have taken such comfort from. You know, my mother, Jane Raffaele, who probably more people know than who actually know me, says if you live in Cape Town, you have to be a forest person, a sea person, or a mountain person. And I always said to her, you know, you brought me up to want it all. So I kind of think of myself as all of the above. And what's interesting, having mentioned your mom, is that uh, both you and your sister, I think, and your mom have been very involved in publishing and writing. Yes, we were. I mean, back to the family. Like, um, you know, I think we're all we all function in in circles of family and community. We best function in circles of family and community and partnerships. Um, my sister and I ran the company my mother started for twenty years together, um, and then I left um, to do my own thing. But it was really a very happy, very wonderful, very rewarding period of my life. Um, and I think it's a great privilege. It's a challenge as well to work with your parents. You know, I remember being in, being introduced once when I gathered up my courage and was going to speak to a huge conference of people where I was introduced as Jane Raffaele's mother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and on another occasion, I was asked what it felt like to walk in Jane Raffaele's shoes when as far I'm very delighted to say she's still very much in her own shoes. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's been a great privilege to, to work with, with both of them. They're both incredible women. And obviously, uh, that family, the, your 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 own, not your current family, but your mother and father's family, were obviously close knit as well. You with your sister and your mom, uh, so you know about close knit families. Um, yes, I know about the ups and downs. In fact, there are four of us. We um, four siblings. I have um, two sisters and a brother. Um, my mother was extremely busy. She managed to produce me in the first issue of her first her first big magazine job, which was editing Fair Lady. We actually have the same um, launch date. And I think she said she was very, she's always been extremely grateful to me because I was in a hurry. I understood a deadline even then, back in the day. (laughs) And now we've come to time for your second choice of music, which is the Arctic Monkeys and a piece called Mardi Bum. That was the Arctic Monkeys with a, a wonderful piece called Mardi Bum. Just tell us about that one. Well, you've interviewed a very good friend of mine, Mark Rosen, before, who said he was quite sure that it was the first time that Mardi Bum has ever been chosen on any list ever. <laughs> but um, it's a very joyous and very real song to me about marriage and about um, relationships. And um, I've got to say that it, was, it has been chosen in our family to describe me in a bad mood. Um, it says I have a look that that um, reminds the singer of um, how it feels to be looking down the barrel of, of a gun. And, <laughs> and I would say I'm generally quite a cheerful, quite a, a nice, kind-hearted person. But every mother knows those moments when the only option is to um, 
deliver a killer glance at your either your spouse or your children. And I know how to, I'm very proud of myself. I would say it's one of my great life achievements to know how to put my family in their place. Without saying anything. <laughs> well. <laughs> or with saying something, yeah. A sharp, uh, you know, a sharp tongue when cornered. Yeah. Um, if you are, um, if you, you, you know, you're not, I'm, I've never been a particularly aggressive person, but it's a great weapon for a, um, it, you know, it's a great weapon to have a, a sharp tongue and a sharp mind. Yep. And obviously, uh, one of the things through this research that uh, Lance would have done, I'm sure it'll be very interesting to look back on it one day and just see, actually, what happened to families in this time? Have you have you been locked down actually with your family? Have you been all at home? Yes, we are. We um, we we were all together and. Um, and alone together as well, because we actually took lockdown very seriously. Um, we have the um, the great sadness of having lost a child um, who had respiratory illness. So for us, the understanding about um, what it is like to try and nurse a person in respiratory dis distress is very real. And, um, you know, the point that we were actually in the process of nursing that child was during a time when all hospitals were working and when um, you yeah. had access to all the experts and specialists and um, advice that you possibly could get. And it still was incredibly hard. So that commitment to actually, um, you know, following lockdown to the letter of the law um, is certainly very strong in our family. Um, having said that, there are moments when I really do wish I could have walked up a mountain because being locked down with a bunch of teenagers... Um, at the point when they believe and they really do need to um, cut the ties and cut the umbilical cord and be out enjoying themselves and getting up to mischief and, you know, um, pushing boundaries. They're older teenagers. The oldest is now has just turned 20. Um, it was a great sadness for them and a frustration. Um, I have one child who has just started um, mechatronic engineering at university and the absolute hell of having to teach himself um, triple E physics and maths in his yeah. bedroom um, really did kind of take a lot out of all of us, I have to say. Well, I, from that point of view, I think it's been a very interesting time because I, I have quite a large circle of friends and some of their children have taken very well to working from home and having the independence to, to make their own timetables and so on. Others, of course, haven't. Those who need sort of to be surrounded by school friends and so on have not done so well. But some of them have done incredibly well and and have thrived in this new yeah. situation. Well, one of the things that I have um, noticed, you know, and you learn so much about other families through doing a job like my own, when 37,000 of them tell, tell you about um, their family life daily, is that... Um, you know, that the traditional ideas about how life should be and how education should be and how children should be were really um, turned on their head this year. Yeah. And I think having a lot of kids at home opened a lot of people up to the idea of homeschooling or unschooling or less traditional forms of education. But at the same time, some parents also, I think maybe, and I hope this too, a lot of them learnt a greater... Um, gratitude and respect for teachers because <laughs> it's not an easy job um, trying to trying to teach your kids yourself or relying on the average robust rugged individual teenager or younger child to teach themselves yeah. so those people I think who found their kids th thriving are the lucky ones for sure yeah well we're going to talk about the village online community next but i perhaps hey 19 was chosen for your just x 19 year old um not actually it was chosen for my very x 19 year old um steely dan is really one of the soundtracks of my own misbegotten mischievous <laughs> um, <laughs> feral youth i was um i was I often have to check myself when I am critical of my teenagers and when I think back to what who I was. But um, I'm a great Steely Dan fan, and I, and you know there is the the songs and the words they are so evocative, and um, there's something about that groove which just makes me feel perennially 19, even though I'm it's way in my rearview mirror. Well, here he comes, Steely Dan with Hey 19.
That was Steely Dan with Hey 19, the choice of Vanessa Raffaelli, who's my guest in People of Note. And she does various things, but one of them is a thing called the Village Online Community. Just tell us a bit more about that. Well, you know, I, I my first act, I think very often um, our lives, our careers as women are divided into, into acts. And my first one was probably much more traditional um, kind of an idea of going out into the world and getting a job, succeeding, um, searching for affirmation and an award. Um, also very um, kind of driven. I was propelled out of South Africa, went off to London and had truly a wonderful career. I was very, very blessed and lucky and I enjoyed my 20s tremendously. Um, came back for my second act, which was coming home um, to work in the family business, to take over the family business with my sisters, we discussed briefly. And that was also a wonderful, enriching time. Um, success, luckily, because, <laughs> because it does help to have a bit of success in one's life, because um, one thing is for sure, there's always a flip side. Um, and a lot of um, fantastic experiences and connections and but again quite a traditional um, trajectory you know running a company um, being an employer of a lot of people um, and it came to a point in my life and I think I turned 50 when my view of the pathway ahead for media was becoming more jaundiced and um, my and also my kind of judgment of myself was um, I'd lost my mojo, typical midlife crisis perhaps, um, but I no longer felt the same kind of spirit of excitement and commitment and um, energy that I felt for the job I was doing. So sometimes the bravest thing that you can do is kick over your sandcastles. And I don't know whether it was brave or foolish, but I did. I left my business, I sold my shares. Um, and being the kind of person I am, I, I think I thought that either a job would come or an idea would come, or at the very least, that people would be interested in chatting to me about options. And of course, none of the above happened. What I did was I spent a year walking in the self-esteem desert, to be honest, because, um, you know, if you do not have a kind of fire inside you or drive, it's very kind of presumptuous to assume that the world will deliver it to you. So into that time... I started thinking about what I could do for myself. And I had a very clear idea that I wanted to make a contribution. You know, I have lived with a healthy dose of Jewish guilt and um, for the privilege and the luck that I've had. And there was a feeling inside of me that, particularly in South Africa, that communities and, um, yeah, communities, small communities were where families and human beings and women particularly thrived best you know I have one of the ideas I had was that I was going to write a book about the best mothers in nature and one of them in my mind were, were lionesses I did realize that lionesses only get three of their nine cubs to maturity so perhaps they're not the best mothers but they do work in a pride and in it seemed to me that in South Africa communities were very very compromised and struggling because we can't really sit in a um in a village square and chat to each other and watch the world go by and share our life's experiences. We go home to behind our very high fences. And as women, with the divorce rate being what it is and with security being what it is, you know, we are often isolated at home. So I used Facebook as, a, as an easy way in to grow a community I hoped of people, not women, but parents, who could support each other, connect with each other, function as a kind of community, a virtual community. And that was the spirit of the village. You know, the cliche is it takes a village to raise a child. And I started that three years ago, thinking that, to be honest, that it would be more of a marketing platform, perhaps for any other business that I was able to come up with. And from the moment that we started, it just took off. And um, it's grown to 37,000, 38,000 now. Um, it's got 92% engagement, which means 92% of those 37,000, 38,000 people are on the village. They comment, they contribute, they share, they um, post every day. 
Um, and the most beautiful thing, and the thing about it that I am proudest of, is that it is incredibly harmonious and supportive and kind. And this, I think, is something you can't take for granted on social media because we all know that social media is swimming with the sharks. So that has been the most incredible, rewarding um, job, really, to take on for my third act because it is kind of a, a, a sort of bullseye of the stuff that makes me happy and um, that I'm good at and also that makes me feel like I'm making a contribution however small to the world because people use the village to do good things um, they support each other they share resources they connect each other now if you're a member of the village um, and you know no one you suddenly on joining this community have 37,000 friends who will offer advice help support if you need it. So the least networked person is as powerful on the village as the most networked person. And we create little miracles every day. And for a 55-year-old woman to feel that sense of doing something kind in the world is a very, very, very powerful um, self... It's a powerful drug. It's a very good feeling. Well, it's a wonderful story. And if people want to join it, they go, they just find the village. Find the village on Facebook. We also launched um, a little magazine online, which is called FOMO, which is the best of the village. It's a digest of all the fabulous stuff. So you can, you can do either. But um, it's highly, I think it's highly unrecommended if you're not interested in children. Yeah. And well, in families. Yeah. Because the commitment is really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a general group. It's a group that really um, understands that each individual is at the core of their family, that if mom and dad or adult is not okay, the kids are not okay. But it, I mean, a lot of people have said to me, it's a very brilliant contraceptive as well, because <laughs> raising teenagers... You know, it's the, it's the worst bad contraceptive because by the time you realize that your lovely little children are not so adorable, you know, it's yeah. too late you're yeah, yeah, yeah. with them. <laughs> well, it's a great story. And I think I'm going to jump around in your music a bit now because we're going to go to Bruce Springsteen, I'm on Fire. So that was Bruce Springsteen, I'm on Fire. And I guess you've been on fire about this uh, village community too. So just... Just let's be very clear for people who may be listening to this program and who want to join it. It's just Facebook, The Village. If you look on Facebook, you can find The Village. It's the one with 37,000 members. Wonderful. Now, you also said in passing that there was a sort of spin-off from that, and I see you call it a, a digital microzine, FOMO, yes. uh, which was well, being launched this yeah. year. Um, one of the things about me is that I never want to run a big company again. I never want to um, employ 180 people again or um, be accountable to anyone again. I think that really is part of the kind of spirit of the third act in people's lives, you know, is the desire when you realize that your time and your independence is probably more precious than anything else. So that's why I'm very careful to call FOMO a little microzine because I want to keep it small. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's just, you know, you can't, it's like, I think one of the choices, one of my other choices was John Mayer um, writing about in the blood and in the water is, um, you know, is it, does it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? And I suppose media is in my blood. Um, it's, it's the water I drink and it's the blood that pulses through my veins. I like to, um, I like to work with people's thoughts and their, and resources. And I like to write things and take note of things and I like to find things and share things so that's really what FOMO is and it kind of is me just being me really to be honest so let's listen to John Mayer in the blood that was John Mayer's in the blood the choice of Vanessa Raffaele who's my guest in people of note she's an author and a publisher and perhaps we can come on to that now because you've written a novel uh and it's it was it uh, is that a children's book or have you written a children's book as well as a novel a couple of children's books and a novel okay. <laughs> my poor children um read they they read my novel um and it has two sex scenes in it um 
and I had the, my poor my middle boy Max had the misfortune of reading that novel and being stuck on a plane on the tarmac at Oliver Tambo with me while reading the sex scene, um, which is not to be recommended for mother or for teenage boy at all. But um, yes, it was a wonderful, it was a bucket list. It was a dream of mine, I, uh, but a kind of fear, fearful dream because I love reading and I am much more of a book person than a music person and I love great writing. And I always knew that I would never write a great book. And I think for many years, I always swore I wouldn't write a book as a result of that. But I met this wonderful editor, Alison Lowry, who said to me, it really doesn't matter. You just need to use your voice and tell your story. And um, I wrote a book that was a story in my voice. And it was one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. And I really, really enjoyed it. But the problem is, I've got... Um, three children and three little chickens in my nest with their mouths open. It's, you can't make a living writing books. I think I'd be extremely happy sitting under a tree writing books, bad books, or not very good books, forever. <laughs> but unfortunately, I have mouths to feed. Yeah. And actually, I, one of the things I want to ask you, because I've I found that lockdown has been a fantastic time for reading, but you have been involved mostly in the magazine business during your life. And how has this time been for magazines? But perhaps let's listen to your next choice of music, uh, which is uh, Cinnaman with Nina Simone. That was Cinnaman of Nina Simone. And I have to tell you that Mataba Taba uh, offline is singing along with some of these songs. And I always know that if Mataba Taba, who helps me put these programs together, if he is singing along, it must be a good program. I'm speaking to Vanessa Raffaele. What about Nina Simone and Cinnamon? Can you imagine opening your mouth and being able to sing like Nina Simone? I, I mean, can you imagine the feeling that it must have been? Um, I mean, she is one of my all-time hero heroines, really. Of course she is, because of, um, you know, she was so much more than just a voice. Um, but such an extraordinary, exceptional voice, and there's the the power of that voice to send shivers down your spine and also to make you listen to what she's really singing about. So, um, you know, I still, to this day, if I hear Strange Fruit, I cry. It makes me cry, and her version more than any other. And I think Billie Holiday is another one, those kind of singular, different female voices yeah. of so much power and pain and such a strong message always, just deeper than just singing. And I have a daughter who's a songwriter, and um, this has also been our journey together, which is listening to female songwriters and um, female singers and really um, feeling the connection, you know, and I think that that's something very magical through the years and across the, across the oceans and through the generations as well. But Nina Simone holds a very powerful um, place in my heart. So let's just get back on to magazines, because I guess, uh, although reading has been wonderful during lockdown, for magazines, I think it's been a very testing time. Well, it's been carnage. And, you know, yeah. um, my mother and my sister lost their business um, during um, lockdown, 38 years. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was an experience of enormous pain and loss. It was a death in our family, yeah. really. Um, but you know, in the wider in the wider world, you just you have to be flexible. You've got to be resilient. You've got to bounce back. You have to always have an eye on um, your next play. And you know, you can be any kind of success in the past or any kind of success now. But the real success is resilience, and it is um, kind of reinvention and humility as well. You know, we only are. Um, you know, we we are we. I think, and my my mother and sister for sure are. They have nothing to not be proud of. The legacy is incredible, and you know, both of them are humble enough to say it doesn't. You know, it matters. It only matters in terms of the loss of income and loss of people's jobs. But you live to fight another day and to fight to find another platform and to find another way to make a contribution. Can't hold on and hang on to the past. Yeah. And and perhaps uh, <laughs> it's not quite connected, but the best day of uh, Taylor Swift is your next choice. And you know, it we all. Was my daughter's 
choice, actually. It's not Taylor Swift. But um, she loves it because it talks to a mother and daughter and talks to the, um, the kind of simple warmth and support and joy that exists um, between yeah, mother and daughter. So here it comes. The best day, Taylor Swift. That was Taylor Swift with The Best Day, the choice of Vanessa Raffaele, who's my guest on People of Note. So there have been ups and downs, certainly during uh, COVID and the lockdown. And uh, having had the experience of doing a novel and writing children's books, have you got something else in the pipeline? Um, <laughs> you know, at the moment... Um it's, it's interesting because, like I said earlier, um, what I'm trying to do as I grow older is to let go of some of the things that drove me when I was young. And one of the things of having of coming from quite a high-achieving family, I mean, well, actually, you know, my father always says, um, you know, Rockefeller and Raffaele spot the difference. We are not that. But we are a kind of hard-working family with a line back to through um, – six generations in this, this in this country and the first um my great great grandfather came here as a 13 year old in search of his father with thir- with a, a guinea in his pocket not being able to speak a word of english and was searching for his father who had disappeared so you know that what what runs through all of our veins i think is a huge work commitment and a huge um need to um to prove ourselves perhaps and and to work and to succeed on some levels and my view now is that I want to free myself from that drive to some extent I want to find projects and tasks and work that nourish me spirit body and soul um, on my own terms and so at the moment the village really is my passion project and it is so dynamic and luckily for me is such a little gem that it's throwing out all kinds of challenges and opportunities itself but finding time to spend with my girlfriends to spend with my dogs to walk on the mountain to spend with my husband to spend doing things which are not about me also making a contribution to the community has become sort of more of a drive than that old kind of thought of what's next yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that it's makes kind absolute of very, sense. But, a, but, very third, a very third act kind of feeling. Yeah, but um, I, I get the feeling that the village online may also have its own story to be told. You know, the most amazing thing about it is it has 37,000 stories. Yeah. And I joke and I say that I am the woman with 37,000 friends, but I really am. And... What is so incredible about giving a voice, and I chose Stormzy, the song from Stormzy, The Crown, um, from The Crown, to um, illustrate the importance of voice and of how important that is, not only for me, but for other people. So middle-aged women often are very silent, um, not to say even um, invisible. You know, we joke that we say that the clothes for a middle-aged woman are a nice pair of sensible shoes and an invisibility cloak. And that comes a time when you have got to a particular age where you are expected to kind of retreat into doing good good work and to kind of be quiet and to be dutiful and to be good. And that's supposed to sustain you. But my feeling is, no, it's got to be about finding your voice and finding your courage and your truth. And there's something so wonderful in in kind of the youth now and um, grime, that grime music and is, is one of those places where there is an authenticity of voice and strength of voice and a kind of, you know, the, Stormzy's first song was called Shut Up and or first big breakthrough song, song. And it is such a beautiful song of saying, don't diss me, here is my voice from a marginalized, per, you know, from a person from a margin, often marginalized group. So the village is fascinating for me because what it has done is give a platform for so many women and men to tell their stories with no judgment, with no shame, with no sense that they are being um, mocked or bullied, which often happens when vulnerable, when they're not even vulnerable, when ordinary people open their mouths. So on the village, um, I've discovered some, inc- the village has thrown up, I've discovered no one, some incredible writers and some incredible voices, people who have made me laugh, um, 
There's um, the Emperor of Suburbia, Lloyd Johnson. There's Yolanda Lamprecht, who's one of the funniest writers. Jana Klutter has just won on the village a choreographed sofa from telling the most beautiful story about um, her relationship with her old perfectly marvellous sofa and the people who slept on it and the, f- the fights that she had in it and the experiences that she lived on it. And these women, Stephanie Minar, has written some beautiful stuff on the village. I could go on for hours. So that whole thought of of the platform for people, you know, the, the, there's a platform like the village which is democratic and which has no um, barrier to entry means that people's voices can come to the fore. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about what I do now is discover is hearing people's truth. And um, yeah, I would say Stormzy is probably the world um, king of truth. Well, here comes Stormzy with Crown. That was Crown featuring Stormzy, <laughs> the choice of Vanessa Raffaele, who's my guest in People of Note tonight. This programme is broadcast every Sunday on Classic 1027. Uh, I'm Richard Cock, and I always talk to someone who's got a story to tell, and it sounds as though Vanessa and her 37,000 village online community have lots of stories to tell. And South Africa is a land of stories. Africa is a continent of stories, and it's stories that keep us going. And I see uh, one of your choices is Carly Simon, that's the way I always heard it should be, and I think we should play that now, and then you can tell us about it. So here it comes, Carly Simon with That's the Way I Always Heard It Should Be. That was Carly Simon. I mean, you talked earlier on, Vanessa, about wonderful voices. She has a great voice too. Oh, you know, I grew up wanting to be Carly Simon. I mean, that, that I don't know if you know that picture of her going on the cover of one of the albums, I can't remember which which one it was, but of her in a blue t-shirt and a brown floppy hat with no bra um, and a big sling bag over her. To me, she was, she looked like the most beautiful woman on, on earth. And then when I started listening to the words that she wrote, they had such a resonance and again, such an honesty and an authenticity. And like I said, I think one of the greatest superpowers a person can have is a voice and her writing um it again it cuts cuts it certainly cut across the oceans because from wherever she was boston or martha's vineyard or wherever she was living that life of like kind of quite sort of sophistication um on the upper east side of of new york it sort of drifted through my mother who was a great carly simon and carol king fan drifted into our house in newlands and became almost a sort of a war cry for me because not that she was telling you to do anything, but because she described um, the truth of ordinary lives again. Um, you know, Two Hot Girls, I, I remember as one of her songs, when I was 13, all I wanted to be was one of those girls um, living that life. And then um, definitely, the, and then um, We Had No Secrets, that song, which was about um, marrying someone and kind of, that weapon of using honesty as a weapon and talking about kind of the complications of relationships. And she, her parents had a famously complicated um, marriage. And it was just the kind of, the, the kind of delicate, but also brutal, simple way that she describes human interaction just resonated so tremendously with me and still does to this day. Well, what's interesting about your choices of, of music is actually most of it is about choices of words rather and i think maybe you've you've emphasized that in each of the songs you've talked about the message that it has rather than the music and i see leonard cohen is one of your choices and his his words are amazing too oh my leonard i still i can't even if i if i think about him being dead I literally, it just upsets me to this day. My husband knows he's one of my five alternate husbands. And I think I would have made a wonderful wife to him. I would have made him cheerful, which would have been terrible, I'm sure. But um, I absolutely um, love him and feel that, again, yes, those are, you know, he is not really a musician in in the traditional sense. He is a poet with music. And... um, yeah, and I think that that's you're absolutely right. It is it is the words. It's, but then again, I also chose some Miles Davis, and um, I think that every sane person has to have some jazz in their life because um, 
you know, there's something about, and in fact, it does take me back to lockdown is when I was raking the leaves. I mean, it was very inconsiderate of lockdown to happen over, over autumn. And like I said, I'm a tree person. My house is filled with trees and they dumped leaves day after day after day. And I raked day after day after day. It was, I suppose, my, um, therapy. my yoga yeah. <laughs> therapy. <laughs> But nothing actually worked as well as um, as well as for a companion as um, for raking. I found as jazz because the absence of words and the complexity kind of takes you into a place of zen and it takes you into a place of thought that no other music can. So for me, there's there's a need for all of it. And I would say because I'm not really a music person, that um, it does it does my choice does. Um, skew towards the message and the feeling and the emotion rather than the technicalities of music but um, underneath it all is the same, it always takes you into a place in, in your spirit and your soul, doesn't it, music? I yeah. mean, that's the whole power of it Yeah. Well, you, you could have cheered up Leonard Cohen a lot because <laughs> the choice you've made is you want it darker so let's listen to that first and then we're going to hear some Miles Davis after that Leonard Cohen you want it darker and you mentioned jazz there uh, and and it's a, an interesting thing that we always talk about jazzing it up we never talk about jazzing it down so I think jazz uh, has that sort of upbeat image to it well not all of it of course well, but I'm a not, lot of not it does. jazz musicians I wouldn't say I'm not, <laughs> I'm not deluded enough to think that I could cheer any of them up <laughs> But Miles well, Davis, you, you I dream. <laughs> and, and there's also something about you want to darker is that that is pure poetry and it is the kind of you. I mean that is you know also I think I ch uh, yes I also did choose the requiem. Um, it's not really about death or about it's not really about that. It's about the reckoning. It's about um, it's about considering what we are here for and what lies beneath. And um, I think Leonard. Cohen, for a Canadian, certainly was very preoccupied with it. But he also had a kind of, he had an in incredible, earthy, sexy intelligence. Um, and I think I'd be lying if I said it was purely intellectual. Oh, I just adored him. I loved him so much. <laughs> well, we've, we've had Leonard Cohen. So here now comes Miles Davis with So What? That was Miles Davis with So What? The choice of Vanessa Raffaelli, who's my guest in People of Note. So, has lockdown, uh, the, the sort of seeing the end of it, has that changed anything with the people on your village community? I mean, I'm thinking about families now, while people are looking forward perhaps to having some of the restrictions lifted now, has, has anything changed with the mood on the village community? I think that this was the year the, sh the plates shifted beneath us in a way that was unlike anything else we ever have experienced and in South Africa I think so um, intensely because people who were just getting by before are most certainly not getting by now and a large part of what we do on the village is offer help um, it was always it was never set up to be an NGO or to, or to be um, an ATM of last resort it just wasn't um, but I think, you know, you can talk about everything on the surface as much as you like, but in a country with no security net and with, um, you know, n no bailout coming, um, I think most families have faced the reality of loss and of fear and of uncertainty to such a profound effect. Um, and I see that on the village. You know, a lot of people say to me, how can you do it? Because um, the village is, it's a conversation and it really is a conversation with 37,000 people. Yeah. And when you go through a period like many that have happened in the last year, like points at which um, we lost Ianeni, um, that was a young girl, a child, a, a young woman, a child of all of us, really. Um, Black Lives Matter, that was a challenge to our own prejudice. That was a challenge to the way things are. Lockdown. Um, these conversations come in thick and fast, and they are incredibly, incredibly um, painful and confronting. Um, and it is very hard to 
receive um, letters from people who you know were okay in helping other people last year, suddenly saying they are in need of help. It's um, very hard to receive pleas for help from people who a year before were doing well enough to want to and to be in a position to help others. So it is incredibly, incredibly challenging and hard and, and heart sore. There are moments when I almost have to count myself in to pick up my phone. Five, four, three, two, one, you can do it. But the amazing lesson I've learned is that um, in helping, even making one small act of generosity or grace, comes the greatest comfort. So as you stand, just one small individual, looking at the flood, the tsunami of need, just making a small difference to one other person actually um, gratifies and, and soothes and heals you more than it does them. So every time I throw a, a problem out into the village, and of course during lockdown there were more than most. I mean, it really was so real. There's no other way to describe it. Um, I now have this incredible feeling of community power that someone will be able to make some kind of a difference to that person, whether it's a voucher to buy a meal, um, we have paid people school fees. We have sent um, we've sent people who we've sent a, a person who has died here in this country back to his mother, her mother, in Malawi. We have paid for children to have their teeth repaired. We have been able to facilitate offers of help across from haves to have nots and back again. And that really is the most, um, it is, like I said earlier, it's a very, very powerful drug, but it, it empowers you in a way that, that really nothing else does. Certainly yeah. not sitting by a fire and congratulating yourself or thanking whatever God you believe in that you're the one with a roof over your head. Yeah. So um, I have really learnt about acts of grace and generosity and understanding as well that one person can make one act of grace and generosity but a community an army of grace and generosity and become something so much more powerful so the interesting thing about the village is it's been embedded in its dna that doing good is what we do so people have you know people also ask me surely you have to police this community the whole time to make sure they don't bully to make sure they don't troll to make sure they um they don't abuse. And the fascinating thing is if you infect a community with values and spirit, they do it themselves. So it's been just for me the most, and lockdown particularly, put it into such sharp focus. Um, there is so much grace, so much generosity, so much warmth of spirit. If you allow people to do it on their own terms, do it when they can do it, I, I'm surprised and, um, and strengthened every day. And you talked about the, the sense of loss that many people have had during this time, and you chose a, a movement of the Brahms Requiem, and it's, Wie lieblich sind deine Wohnungen, how beautiful are thy dwelling places. It's really a comfort for the living. This is John Elliott Gardner conducting the Monteverdi Choir and Orchestra. That piece of music... Um is so powerful to me because it is my father, really. And um, my father is is a deeply, um, he's a deep and proper and lifelong fan of, class of classical music. And that piece of music takes me back to um, Sunday mornings in our house when I was a child. I'm listening to my mother's um, typing. She always used to type on an old Olivetti and my father used to lie in front of the fire reading The Economist and listening to... Well, he says he can never choose a favorite piece of music, but always beautiful, beautiful music. And then we would have discussions about what the music meant to him. And he's not an emotional, touchy-feely man, but he will always tell you what the music meant to him. And um, it's the, the classical music always um, has that hook for me, that very powerful hook about emotion and family and legacy and history and discussion, all the things that kind of all the good things I came from. Yeah. It's quite interesting, if I may say so, that coming from a Jewish family as you do, that that you didn't uh, play an instrument or have any musical activities, but you we moved tried. in another direction. I so hard. Um, one of the terrible tragedies of my life um, really was that I was undiagnosed ADD. I discovered when my daughter was diagnosed at 17 um, as off the that she was off the charts um, 
um, attention deficit disordered, so was I. And it suddenly made everything clear because my father, bless his heart, he tried. He tried, like I try with my children. I call this house the, the Boulevard of Broken Cultural and Sporting Dreams. We um, had to, we went to music classes, but it did not land, um, unfortunately, because I, I am so glad that my children all play instruments. Um, my daughter taught herself five instruments, actually, as it happens, and is a songwriter, because not because of um, anything other than the fact that it is such a great um, such a great therapist to yeah. be able to play. Wherever you are in the world, to sit down at a piano or pick up a guitar and play. It soothes you, it, it, um, and it puts joy into your soul, it gathers people around you. But anyway, I can't say that. I have to say that my both my Jewish parents tried. They bought those pianos <laughs> and those guitars, and they languish in the in the attic still to this day. Yeah, wonderful. Well, we're we're sort of coming towards the end of the program now, and I think we've talked about companionship, how music has been a companion, how the village online is a companion. Your digital microzine and your last choice of music is mark cohen and true companion which seems quite appropriate he's a very underrated musician i think and so does my husband who chose this for me um and this is the song that he plays to me when i'm being i'm being the mardi bum and he's wondering why i married him or why he chose me so it is this really is for my wonderful husband who is an architect he is. He's he's a fabulous architect. Um, he was a great surprise and joy to my parents that I brought him back because if anyone ever does read my novel, they can see that pretty much um, my taste in men ran to people that possibly my um, parents would not have approved of. But they are absolutely delighted. My husband prefer him to me many times over, as it should be. And, um, yeah, I think I did well. <laughs> I was Wonderful. lucky. Well, and, and that's what this program has been all about. And in fact, this is what radio has been about during lockdown. I think many people have found it to be their best companion. And you've been listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. I've been speaking to Vanessa Raffaele, who is who claims to be unemployable, but has achieved so much in her life. So thank you, Vanessa, for, for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great a privilege and an honor for us so thank you and we're going to play out with mark cone and true companion <laughs> 